0: welcome to off mute i'm zach morrison joined by my co-host marketing technologist and tenuity practice lead for privacy and identity narish Prasad. today we're going to catch up with founder and ceo of privacy consulting firm red clover advisors jody daniels jody has more than 20 years of experience in privacy marketing strategy and finance since launching red clover advisors in 2017 she's helped hundreds of companies create privacy programs achieve gdpr compliance CCPA compliance, U.S. privacy law compliance, and much more. She focuses on helping brands establish secure online data strategies that their customers can count on. Welcome, Jody.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's a delight to be here.
0: We are excited to talk to you. With Off Mute, we like to begin with a little bit of a game just to get us all warmed up here. It's going to be a game of I Say, You Say. So I'm going to give you three different words, and then you're just going to immediately tell us what's on your mind, and then we're going to talk about it. And then I'll go to the next one and the next one. And today, they're going to get, I think, increasingly harder or more challenging as we go through them. So the first one, it's a layout. It's easy, data.
1: Companies collecting, sharing, and selling a lot of it. (laughs) That is the first thing that comes to mind. I think today, people just have treasure troves. I think we're up to like, you know, zettabytes. And I feel like we're making up names for the amount of data that companies are collecting. Because it's easy to find, it's easy to collect and store, and with technology, we can analyze it and really garner some fabulous and, and interesting insights. But at the same time, it's being shared and sold in a variety of very interesting ways.
0: How, how did we get to this point where the you know data is this? I, obviously, it's very obvious why it's abundantly available because of the internet and what you know what's happening. But how did we get to this point of data privacy? becoming an issue.
1: So my view is that, you know, it's a little bit of the wild, wild west, and people always like to kind of push the envelope. And when there's no rules or guardrails, people just will do whatever they want. You know, if you think about parenting and kids, kids like rules and and guardrails because that keeps them safe. They know they can go all the way up to the, to the edge, and that's sort of their safe environment. And here, we don't have any edge so people kept pushing and pushing and sharing because they could and because they could create and connect and someone else was interested in it so as soon as you have another entity that says gosh that's really interesting wait you can tell tell me that jody went to the store and bought these three things online that's really fascinating to me i want to connect all of those dots And so then the next company figured out how to take that and push it even further until you had some companies kind of push the envelope a little too much. And some people decided that, uh, you know, we need to kind of rein it in. The individual should have a better understanding of what's happening with their data. And it's my data. And I should get to make some choices around it. So as a result, we needed to kind of move to the more modern era. And typically, laws tend to catch up with the actions that are happening, whether it's in privacy or anything else. So all the laws kind of are, are reactive, and that's really where we are today. We're reacting to the technology that's been in play for at least the last decade, if not more.
2: The data thing's really interesting. So I, I did a CCPA request, a data request in California, for re- California residents, uh, to a large technology company just to see what they had on me. And I thought it was really interesting when, when it comes to just what they're wrangling. Uh, they had every address on me from when I was a kid uh, up until two, three years ago. Every phone number associated with me, uh, including a pager number from when I was a teenager, and every email address, including an Earthlink and a Hotmail address that I had forgotten I had. Uh, so I was being in this in this industry, knowing what's there, and then ha- just seeing what you know somebody has on me, especially things that I had forgotten I had, was really interesting.
1: I think that's really fascinating. I'm almost scared to do it myself. <laughs> I'm intrigued to know what they'll find, and and uh, in, in dig up. But if you think about how far back that data goes, I mean, that's data that's being collected for decades. That's a significant treasure trove. And Zach, you had kind of asked, you know, how did we get here? Well, it's easy to keep adding to the data pile because the cost to do so keeps going down. So I might as well keep adding and making a bigger data set. The philosophy, the bigger the data set, the more I can analyze against it. And then you get, you know, someone like this, where you can make a request and find out your middle school pager number. Most people listening might not even remember what a pager is.
0: All right. (laughs) right. So let's move on to the next, uh, the next one, which is going to a far cry from uh, pagers. uh, And that's going to be block federated learning Uh of cohorts. (laughs)
1: The first thing that comes to my mind is a bird. (laughs) Uh, No joke. It it was the word game. Um, But in the advertising world, right, it's going to make me think about Google. And actually, there's a really interesting conversation around what Flock is and where it's going. And is it truly the privacy-friendly nature that it is? Or is it just sort of the next iteration slightly disguised? and just trying to move it slightly to a more privacy-friendly place, but still utilizing everyone's personal data.
0: I told you it was going to get harder as we, uh, as we went on. So here's the, here's the last one. Zuckerberg.
1: Ah, uh, well, synonymous with Facebook. And, you know, I've been a Facebook user for a long time. I will say that the way I've used Facebook has changed over the years. And the more I, I learn and get deeper into privacy, I find I'm sharing less and less because I'm more familiar with how it's harvesting the data. At the same time, there is a fabulous place for Facebook and the connection, which is a big part of their principles and their, you know, what they're trying to achieve is real. Uh, the utility factor on Facebook is real. I can't tell you how many groups I'm in and I have learned personally and professionally and they, they create an amazing place for community. It also is all about a place for money. And so most people think about Facebook, harvesting data, making money. All true statements.
0: I have to double click on, on Zuckerberg and and money and, uh, <laughs> and all the things that you just equated there and kind of tie it back to this first portion of data. Do you think it was inevitable that all the data privacy issues, all the issues that we've seen uh, revolve around Facebook are because it was inevitable that whoever was the social networker, no matter what they did, we were gonna have this issue or do you think it was a failure? Within the within internally, that you know, some of you know, all dating all the way back to Cambridge Analytica.
1: I think it's both, and I think it would go backwards before Cambridge Analytica. So, if you think back to some of the decisions that Facebook made, they continue to put the product first and really not consider the people when they introduced new features, they didn't have privacy by default, and they you know, so that there's, there is no privacy in, in that situation. And I think the, the push for, for data, the push for revenue, the pressure from investors is real. And so the amount of data that they have and that they can continue to harvest, and it kept getting bigger with more and more people coming as individuals joining, more brands coming on where I can interact with them, And then more advertising, it's created literally this big pie. And through that, you're going to have this really interesting place to be able to leverage more advertising, more insights. And so privacy would get in the way of that. If you're already doing it and you didn't put privacy first, now you have to kind of unwind and figure out, well, how do I put that in there? So to me, a bit of the failure is that they didn't lead with privacy. As they're building the new products, they didn't think about, wait, does the user want that? Should I make it default on to share with all of my friends or should I let the user decide what to do? Often the privacy settings were kind of hard to find originally, they were buried. Now they're not as much. Now I have a lot more choices. They're easier to find, but that's because laws Got and you know, told them that they had to. They had a variety of different fines and and challenges with the Federal Trade Commission, and they were forced to make privacy easier. So first, I think it was a failure. But then I also think that because of the amount of data that they have, it's even more complex to embed privacy into it. and I do think actually nowadays, I have many friends who are in the privacy space at Facebook, and I think they're doing the right thing. I think they are trying to do what is is required by the laws. And at the same time, I think there's probably a natural push by the product and revenue teams. And I don't have inside scoop as to which team gets to win.
2: So Jody, there's another catalyst that Facebook is dealing with, and that's the rails. That's Apple and Google owning the devices and the browsers and changing what Facebook can collect. What are your thoughts on just from their response back in in December, taking a front page ad to the things that they're doing now, what are your thoughts on Facebook's approach?
1: Well, I think to me, they're kind of being forced in a corner. You have other entities trying to say, hold on, how you're doing it isn't a privacy first. It's not a people first approach. So we have our view and you're gonna have to kind of play in our sandbox. In Facebook's view, I, I think they were trying to make it look like we care about you, small business, except I personally think it was really that we care about us, Facebook, and kind of leading with the, f- the business first approach of the, the way and the impact that they will have to a small business. I mean, I'm a small business. But the cost to advertise on Facebook continues to increase. So quite honestly, for a small business where it is today versus where it was years ago is exponentially more expensive to do so on Facebook. So, you know, I, I kind of think it's a push for Facebook to realize that they need to do things differently. And they, you know, most people don't like having to be forced to do things differently, especially if it's been working at billions of dollars in your favor for quite a long time.
2: right. So a privacy focused web seems inevitable at this point. What bold prediction do you have for the future of the web?
1: It's a fabulous question. And I think it's a bit challenging because the web is global. And yet we have different countries that have different philosophies on how this all should work. So if you were to ask this and the European approach would would prevail, then the bold prediction would be we're going to be in an opt-in environment where it's going to be I, the individual, get to choose which cookies you're going to place. Or maybe it won't be cookies because we'll be cookie-less and it'll be the new flavor, digital technology, whatever f- name that will be, flock or bird or purple. At the same time, in the United States, that is a big push. We live in such a capitalistic society and we want amazing content and we also don't want to pay for it. We want all types of information and community, and it's a significant challenge of convenience over privacy and security. So it's a massive juxtaposition that exists globally, but because of the global privacy laws that are in place now to kind of force it to be more of an opt-in approach, I'm not really convinced as the US we're going to exactly get there. I think it will have to be some some other type of Cambridge Analytica-like event that would really light a fire under people to make them move in that direction. And I'm not sure we're going to be there. So the bold prediction, it's kind of less bold, I guess. I'd love it to be in an opt-in environment. I'm just not convinced we're going to get there in the United States.
2: So as a follow-up, there's at least maybe a dozen or so privacy laws happening in the United States across various states. What does that mean for brands uh, when you have California, Virginia, Washington, all these states coming up with their own privacy rules. How do you navigate that?
1: It's a complex challenge for sure. What all of those laws have in common, with the exception of one or two states, and actually while we're recording this, one of those states that was opt-in, that privacy law has actually died. So it's not moving forward where it was opt-in. But all of those states are still an opt-out mentality it's still very much a company can do what it kind of wants, but tell me what you're doing and give me choices on the back end. So it will certainly be a challenge for a company to make sure that it's doing the right thing for each of those states, because it's quite possible state one versus state five might have some different privacy notice requirement or a different individual right. Generally speaking, they're moving in a similar direction So a company is going to need to have a privacy first mentality. They're going to need to understand the data they have and what they're doing with it and have a plan to be able to make sure that they're in adherence with whichever privacy law is going to be here. And at the same time, kind of going back to your bold question, we're talking about cookies. We're sort of having this next movement to cookie lists. I actually do think a bold prediction is that we'll be in some new future technology that we don't even know what it is today to allow us to keep getting appropriate targeting, kind of privacy friendly targeting where it's privacy tech first and not necessarily the way we've been used to it today. I don't know what that exactly looks like, but I know that there are a number of companies all trying to solve for a manner in which we can still connect customers to brands, but in a very privacy first mentality.
2: Jody, if we think about what's next and also the idea of identity. Um, right now, I think there's some confusion on who identity belongs to. Uh, if you ask MarTech and AdTech, identity belongs to them. They're building solutions around it. If you ask people, I think they would tell you that their identity belongs to them. And so one of the interesting technologies that I'm, I'm following and i wondering if you can comment on it is what's happening around blockchain and being able to have the power, this power of a ledger that's verified, that's owned by an individual, you know, be integrated into, you know, web 3.0, whatever we're going to call it in the future. Have you given any thought or seen any rumors or anything in, in your world?
1: I think there's been a number of companies and people talking about this now for for real for years. And I do think it's a viable option. And I think in the future, we're going to want to have, you know, if you think about that element of choice, And I'd mentioned kind of the opt-in or opt-out mentality. While the laws today might have us be an opt-out here in the United States, I think people want to own that. And if there's a way that it can be meaningful where I get to choose how I want to interact or the types of interaction, you know, people have even talked about being paid for my data. If it's my data, let's have this be reversed and let the individual be paid for it. And I think blockchain allows for those types of conversations to be real. So I do think that there's a place for it. And that's an age-old question of who owns the data. Is it me, the person, or the company, or even the player? So to me, there's actually three. Could it be that brand, the technology, or the individual? The individual is gonna really feel like it's mine. That's the, I gave you the information. But the reality is it's the different parties that are a part of the conversation that are using and owning that data. So everyone needs to be able to have a stake in that. And I think blockchain will allow the flexibility to to make those types of transactions occur.
2: Right, one way I think about it is my doctor has information about me and I trust them with that data. I don't worry about them sending that information anywhere else. I think that's something, the idea of identity It could be shared, it could be owned, you know, it could live in some other database that I don't have access to. I I don't know what's everything from my medical record, but I at least trust that they're doing the right thing with it. And I think that's important to to think about where we're going, because that's where I see it going.
1: I think you hit on something that's critical, and it's around trust. So you trust your doctor, likely because your doctor has a privacy law known as HIPAA that it has to adhere to. And it's health information, which everyone has generally considered to be special, sensitive, garners extra attention. When we're talking about kind of the rest of the data on the internet, which some of this is health data, there's no shortage of health marketing that's happening, as well as financial data and a variety of other sensitive topics. But then let's just take, you know, old fashioned, I went shopping for shoes or a household item. Is that information any less sensitive? Well, maybe in individually, it might look that way, but we all know that it's connected with all of these other pieces and profiles are created. So when you think about it in that context, the piece to me that's really important is its trust. And do I trust who it's going to? And that's the brand that I gave it to in the first place. And then I'm trusting that the brand is working with smart technologies, smart companies that are also going to take the privacy and security part seriously.
0: So on that note, I think uh, I like to ask these questions about best and worst. And I think I'm not asking you to call out a brand for being the worst at this, but you know, you work with a lot of big corporations and work there, work with your clients. Like you're who's doing this well? And 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 I think the the more it's less about the who, and it's more about the like how, like kind of the why they're doing it well or how they're doing it well. And then who's not? I don't expect you on the who's not doing it well to reveal their name. But, you know, why are they struggling? Why are they not doing well um, as it relates to kind of data privacy?
1: Sure. Well, I think I'll let the, the, we'll keep the names out of it. So, but we'll go with the philosophies. So we protect everybody, the good and the, the less good. I think those that are doing it not well are not doing well because they're so focused on their current business model. And they fear that if I do anything different, then it'll harm the business model. It'll harm my revenue and that's what I'm focused on. There was an interesting company the other day that I talked to from a client and ultimately it's a service provider to the main, to the first company. But as they dug deeper, they realized, oh no, 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 hold on. The actual business model is based on that company using the data from all of its customers to build its entire infrastructure. But that's not clear to the end user. And so that company kind of felt, well, hold on, why are you hiding this? So they're not being honest and they're not being clear. They're looking at privacy as this obstacle and thing in the way, as opposed to understanding, you know, one, there's a law, so we should probably hear to them. But I always like to say there's the can and can'ts and should and shouldn'ts. So beyond just the law, you have to think about, well, what do my customers expect and what do my customers' customers expect? So the company's doing it well understand that it's about the individual and that they want to build this element of trust, whether it's B2C or B2B, that it's ultimately the end customer. So if I'm transparent, if I explain to you what I'm collecting on the site, then the person might actually be more willing to give me information. And if I give choices, then I might actually, my favorite is kind of a downgrade. So a really simple simple example is anyone sending emails if you send me 10 emails in a day, and my only option is to unsubscribe totally, you might lose me as a customer because that's all, that was my only option. If instead you gave me a chance to downgrade and let me decide how I wanna be communicated with, or you let me even choose in the first place, I'm gonna choose what works for me. You've kept me as a customer. So the scared people not doing it, it's like all or nothing, or they didn't even give me the chance because they're scared of what will happen. The people doing it right realize that transparency and choice actually will keep the customer in the long term.
0: I feel like that's
2: sometimes when we're working with certain partners and we're looking at technologies, that's the part that gets lost. And I like to frame where we're at right now with all the privacy changes around uh, these things I call the three R's. The rails, which are the ways that we access the open internet regulation and real people. And the rails are Google and Apple. They own the devices and the browsers we use to be able to consume the web. Uh, they're reacting to regulation. Never mind that they're protecting their moats, but they very much are reacting to regulation on what they can and can't do with their platform. And regulation is reacting to real people who got tired of the data breaches, tired of uh, being followed around. And so when we, when you were mentioning people's preferences. That's what I think. And if you're building solutions and if you're if you're in the market, your brand and you're deciding what does the future of my marketing look like, you have to keep going back to real people because the regulation is on the side of them and Google and Apple, the way that nearly 100% of the web uh, or, or netizens access apps or or the internet is through those devices that are reacting to the same thing. And I think it's just really important that we put that in front uh, as we're thinking about it, anything else is circumvention, um, and what I'm seeing, and kind of what you were mentioning, was the the circumvention that's happening, being able to get the data, and that goes back to who owns identity, uh, and what you can do with it. And I think it's an important question to ask right now, because otherwise we're gonna there's there was already an arms race around data, who can get it, uh, and how you can use it. And that's what I fear is, in an arms race, we had ad blockers, we have privacy first browsers. It's what's next, you know, if we don't lean in and we don't start doing this, I could see a world where, you know, you the the privacy first browses the world and maybe our ability to even get data is, is just encumbered. And that's that's scary for marketers.
0: So we, we talked about uh, bold predictions uh, before, but let, let's take a step back from uh, bold predictions and let's go to realistic predictions. Is 20, is it fair to say that this is the year of data privacy? 2021? Maybe the year of, do we got death of cookies, IDFAs, flocks, a whole bunch of other CCPAs, GDPRs. We got a whole bunch of stuff, right? That, you know, acronyms. It's not going any way, but let's go to the reality. Like where are we actually going to be in 2023? Like what's going to, what do you think will actually change by then?
1: Yeah. So I, I definitely think that this is the year of data privacy kind of starting its snowball effect. I think it started with GDPR with sort of a, a slow beginning in U.S. companies, especially having to begin to take data privacy seriously. And then CCPA moved a lot of companies forward. Then you had the next version of CCPA. It's kind of CCPA 2.0. It's it's the CPRA. It's like the next extension. And that will take place January, 2023. So in the next 18 months, anyone who was kind of asleep or not wanting to take it seriously, now they're going to need to. Virginia joined the party. So we have an East Coast, West Coast law. And in the next 18 months, I think you'll find more states who will pass more laws. So that snowball of more privacy laws and having to at least pay attention to the regulatory part will begin to snowball and really gain momentum from the advertising world. And Norisha, I like how you kind of described the rails part. I think you're going to see some significant change. Right? we all expect it to be towards the end of 2021, early 2022. We'll see what that looks like. And then I think that too will begin to have a snowball effect of actually both sides of other privacy kind of friendly technology to really try and help marketers. Uh, a series of technology trying to skirt what's happening. We're already starting to see that conversation around the world like in China. And then even potentially sort of the blockers, sort of still the people of, I'm still not warm and fuzzy with what's happening and I'm gonna have more and more blockers. So I think that's what we're gonna start to see in 2023. In the intersection between privacy and marketing, I think has never been stronger and will just become more of a part of the conversation and an expectation. I think it'll be less around just, I have a law I have to deal with, because now you're going to have the law, you're going to have the actual way in which we do things is fundamentally changed because of the basis of privacy. So the next iteration of either technology or launching any type of marketing campaign will have privacy as one of the first conversation points
2: in it. Who's, uh, who's sleeping on privacy in your practice? And you're looking, again, you don't have to name names, but who's sleeping on it? Who's not? Who's not tuning in?
1: You know, I think there's some companies who actually a couple interesting ones on the smaller side. I see a lot of smaller companies who look at this as a regulatory approach and say, well, I'm too small. No one's going to find me or the risk. I might even be big enough, but the risk of someone calling me out is too small. I'm just going to take the business risk and keep doing what I want to. There's a lot of companies that have that mentality. A lot of the startups and really smaller companies that might not even meet the official definition, they certainly take that approach and say, well, you know, no one will come in and find me. Uh, but we know that investors, M&A activity, and customers aren't looking at it in that regard, especially a customer. They're not asking a company, you know what, what is the technical technicality of you having to comply or not? Customers just look at a company and they are going to say, are you privacy forward? Are you privacy friendly or not?
0: So I think that leads to the last question I like to ask, which is, uh, one of the, well, maybe it's a, even one of my games uh, of Lonely Island. So if you were, so there are these companies that think they're too small, but once they get big, they're gonna be, uh, they're, they're setting themselves up for a disaster later on if they just focused on it now. So that's kind of where the premise of the Lonely Island thing goes. So if you were starting a company today, at right, a digitally focused, right, digital first company, you get, to, you get to pick one person to help you start that company, one tool or technology to start that company and one partner to start that company. What would you pick for each one of those? Person, tool slash technology, partner?
1: That's a really hard question because you need everyone to be able to make a company happen. So, you
0: started a company before, and you know that you cannot start by hiring 10 people and, no, you and can't. afford 10 tools and 10 partners. This right. actually is reality, too.
1: It is. It's a really hard question. So I'm going to assume, he, I, I, all right, I'm going to go with the marketing side, because if I don't get any customers, I have no company. So to me, the, the first one's going to be a marketer, someone who's going to help get me customers. That's gonna be my my person. My tool is going to be some type of crm ish tool, something that's going to help me keep track of the people because in my pretend company here, I'm selling to individuals and I maybe I'm an e-commerce company. so I need to know the the people and the emails and the contacts I need them all to go into place. So and in my fictitious tool here, maybe it's a really robust one and I could have like email and the shopping pieces all in one because those tools exist. Maybe it's like a clavio. And then my partner, I'm going to go with an agency because I, this is not my specialty. So I'm going to pick someone who knows what they're doing to help make all of that happen. Because if you don't have, in all seriousness, you're either going to grow by word of mouth and your friends and family bought from you. And then it's word of mouth or you have to go and have marketing. Otherwise you have no company. You just have a great idea. But, you know, you think about the different parts. You need an attorney who's really going to help you with so many different aspects of, of a company, someone who's familiar with the numbers to help make sure that you're not upside down and someone with some business sense that can help drive you forward. If if we're going to be talking about a data-focused company and given everything that we're talking about here, you need someone who's going to be well-versed in, in privacy and security because otherwise what you've done especially a small business, can easily be offended in with one data breach. And two-thirds of small businesses will have some type of a security lapse, and they'll be out of business in six months.
0: Wow. All right. Well, that was scary.
1: Reality and scary.
0: All right. So we're going to, we're going to, we're coming to the end here, and I made you play a hard game. I didn't think was yeah, you did well. Don't worry. (laughs) And so we're going to kind of shift the, shift the, the power dynamic to you, from the hard game to whatever you want to talk about. So we welcome you to come off mute, talk about whatever you want to talk about, you know, get us talking about things. So what's on your mind?
1: You know, I think the the piece that's on my mind is, is kind of everything that we've talked about. And it's how to get companies to realize that we're in an amazing opportunity. We have this digital transformation that's happening. And I'd love to hear how you're seeing this play out coming off of such a tumultuous year with companies having to navigate really quickly, it's all moving digital and people are moving so fast that they're not necessarily thinking about all of the impacts. So if we think about the game we just played, right? There's a lot of impacts in that. Did we get all the the legal uh, items appropriately crossed? Did we spend more than we really had? How is the revenue impacting, you know, we're coming in versus what we spent? And from a privacy point of view, how can we use messaging and privacy to connect with, with our customers? Because at the end of the day, to me, marketing is all about connecting with people. We're trying to get someone to buy a product or service and build a long-term relationship with us. So we can have an amazing product and service, but it doesn't mean they're going to actually stay with us if we've had given them a terrible customer experience when it comes to their data or what we've done with it, or we've marketed to them in kind of a a cheesy way or uncomfortable way, like a creepy way. So I think the the piece to me is making sure companies understand the opportunity that they have to connect with people from a trust perspective. And I'd really love to hear how you're seeing the digital transformation play out.
2: I see the same thing. I am seeing brands paying attention to this data space. Um, I'd like to see more, uh, spend more time on it, because I think that's the opportunity. It is an experience. It's not just collecting the data, but it's doing something with it. And I think that's an extraordinary opportunity. And I think when I think about what a good experience is, um, we don't always always marvel when a good experience is happening to us, and we certainly know when a bad one is. And I think that's the competitive advantage right now is using that data, meeting every single moment that the customer has, doing more with messaging and communication. And I think that's the win. Uh, and that's the a big area of focus for me is trying to unlock that capability with brands so they can have those conversations and meet people exactly where they're at. Uh, otherwise, you have a bad experience. And if you have a bad experience, you get that one shot and then they're gone. So that's what's on my mind and and, and trying to get everyone to really understand that. That's the opportunity. We're gonna lose these signals. We're gonna lose these cookies, all this good stuff that we had for so long or maybe not good stuff, Uh, but now we can build relationships,
0: build trust. Um, That's exciting for me. So here's what's on my mind. It's actually about the consumer, right? And I think there are some early studies that have said like less people are opting out than they expected to. You know, me, I don't know. I kinda, on one hand, when I think about like my kids and their iPads, I'm like opt out, opt out, like everything, right? But when I think about me, I'm like, I don't know. I want my life, you know, and my targeting, all this stuff. I don't care. I don't, you know, I got identity theft stuff. So I'm not worried about it, but I'm actually curious about you, right? You're this data privacy expert. What button are you hitting when you get that, that, uh, that notification from Apple? Uh, yeah, it depends. One of these?
1: You know, it depends on the brand. So for some of them, I've said, yes, you can track me. And for others, I said, no. And it has to go with, hmm, who is this brand? And what do I think they're going to be doing with it? And, you know, I think that kind of ties into everything that we're talking about when it comes to other data and, and what type of data they, they want from me. Like I won't mention the name, but last night I signed into a site and I can't actually use the site until I give them a lot of data. I don't want to give them accurate data. I don't want to give them any data just to be able to literally like access the site. That was a terrible user experience for me. And they, and now I don't really want to participate in that compared to how they maybe done things differently, explained what they're going to do with it. Maybe let me browse the site first, get comfortable. Then I'm going to give you all kinds of data that you're asking for. From a security standpoint, I, I, certainly ask a long list of questions before I'm really willing. I try and go to secure sites. You know, I pay with some of the pay services more often that I can. But from an email perspective, I really am very happy when people have preference centers and I can choose how I want to be targeted to. And I don't want to always lose the connection with the brand because I like kind of the reminder every now and again. I just want it on my time frame, I'm not always going to buy that 10 times in one day. I, I want it when I want it. So that's, um, that's about how I, I manage the, the privacy pieces.
0: Well, look, I think uh, brands should be thinking about their consumers. And we have a, a consumer in you who is also an expert. So they should probably be thinking about uh, everything you know, that you said on how, when who you're picking yes to because that's what they should. You know, every all these brands need to do. And you know, you're the you know, the ultimate expert there. But I appreciate you, Jody. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us this week on uh, off mute. And we will be back here every other Wednesday for more insights and unfiltered conversations. Thank you both.
1: Thank you so much for Thank having. You. Me.